Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show. I am Patrick Hardy, joined this fine Thursday by Thursday, not Thursday, by Denny Carter and Kyle Dvorak, where we are going to preview this year's free agent class by kind of hitting on some of the more underrated names. Uh, it's actually not a very kind of all underrated names this year, like <laughs> the big names like Jacoby Myers and Miles Sanders, but kind of like popping the car hood a little bit. Do people still pop car hoods and seeing like what kind of like interesting under the radar names might be there. I, uh, I haven't popped a car hood since 2004 when my Mercury Sable kept overheating. Denny yeah. <laughs> will never quote pop a car hood. No, I, <laughs> Cars are way better today than they were. They are way better. I had a 1993 Saturn where the engine would get so hot that I had to turn on the heater to yeah. blow heat off right. the engine. In the um, summer, you would in just the summer. deal with it. And the the heat blast, and you would and you would watch the temperature gauge, and you would pray yes. to, to any god who would listen. Please, please, g- get get down, get down just a little bit, back to back to uh, the middle. It's true. I would I run. You could run the air conditioner for two minutes, and then you would have to. <laughs> the, the engine would overheat, and you'd have to blow heat off the engine. Yes, Kyle. I can't say I'm really like nostalgic for this type of thing or like, you know, the nostalgia of like, oh, things used to be used to be so cool in the 80s is like something millennials say, even though they haven't they weren't alive in the 80s. Right. I can't say this is part of your guys's life that I think is cool. And that's, you know, you guys not getting to like have cell phones in your life. So you're older. That probably is cool and probably good for you to some degree. Okay. Uh, the part about this weird uh, mechanical things going on with your car. I'm not nostalgic for that part of the thing I never lived through. I did recently have a car problem where another car uh, was stuck in, in my car. The car, the two of them were conjoined. Oh my uh, God. They hit each other really hard. Yes. Really? Uh, Are you okay? That's when he died. I'm fine. Life. Part of, part of the, the appeal of new cars is that they don't, they're not made of paper. They don't just squish up and squish the people in them. Uh, it, it took everything my Volkswagen had Rest in peace. Uh, but it, I don't know. I won't say it saved my life. It wasn't a high speed collision, but uh, it hung in there uh, to its dying uh, pump of diesel. Oh, oh man. We're That's all cool. glad to hear you're alive. And yeah, my 1993 Saturn would have crumbled like a backboard to like Shaq <laughs> just dunked on <laughs> if it had ever gotten hit. And uh, Denny, what's the worst car you ever had? I had a really, really bad. I had a car worse than a 93 Saturn, actually. So uh, I, I had a couple. So my dad actually. 
has been a, a used car wholesaler my entire life. Oh my so gosh. <laughs> so uh, you've seen some, some things. Cars. I've yes. had some cars. I've seen some things. And uh, my first car was and now. Now, please stick with me here. Okay. Cause it doesn't sound as snotty and bratty as, as you know, it originally will sound. Uh, my first car was a 1991 Lexus ES250. Okay. And it was basically a Camry with Lexus insignia on it. Okay? <laughs> and it, I got it with a hundred 160,000 miles on it. Yeah. I've and, never uh, had a car with fewer so, than that on it. So this was, this was 2000. I got a 91, 90 year old car, but lots of miles. And this thing, broke down immediately i'm talking like within a week i'm on the side of the road the thing is just the, the, the smoke's just pouring out from the thing so you know my dad replaces it with another lexus es250 <laughs> uh, cars catch on fire a lot less frequently than they used to that's another thing zoomers want it used to be fairly frequent just be driving down the highway and there'd be like a car fire on the shoulder and much people is like standing around yeah. Well, I hope that car doesn't explode. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, if if you'd like to relate one more car story, and we can uh, we can get on to whatever this like football nonsense we got to talk about is. I bought my bought like a really old SUV, like a '90s SUV, off of my grandma because it had uh, I needed to like tow things with it. Basically, I needed a roof rack and space in the back to like travel or whatever. And this car was a piece of garbage. It was falling apart. Just uh, it was a trailblazer, like a 90s trailblazer, big oh, green yeah. beast of a car. Yeah. And uh, I knew something wasn't right. It smelled toasty inside and it's cold outside. I lived in Ohio. It smelled burny, carbon setting on fire. <laughs> and uh, someone next to me, a very kind driver on the highway, panicked, is pointing at my car. <laughs> and apparently like sparks were just flying out of the bottom oh, of the car. Yeah. It was really not doing well and that was the last time i ever drove that car <laughs> i was almost the most recent person uh probably the first person of my age to be the roadside fire person the worst car i ever had was two sorry denny what were you gonna say well i would say as bad as cars were back in the day um at least unlike recent teslas the steering wheel didn't come off in your no, hand while you were driving it. You know, Whiz, that is uh, whiff out the window. Yeah, they didn't do that. Um, so I totaled that Saturn, and by totaled, I meant got in a minor fender bender. But the car was such a piece of junk that, like, basically any repair totaled it. <laughs> so I totaled it, and then you know needed a car pretty badly. I was a senior in high school, and for five hundred dollars in the fall of two thousand four. I bought a 1980, 1986 Crown Victoria, which is oh, <laughs> oh, no Do you even know what a Crown Vic is? <laughs> I only know if you would have oh. named any other car from that era, I wouldn't, but I know of a Crown Vic as the cop car. That's yes. all like all I'll ever understand it to be. So it you a, were driving around a cop car when you were 18? Driving around or taxis, right? Taxis were were taxis Crown Vics too? Maybe. I was driving around a Crown Vic that it didn't lock. Um, the radio kind of worked, but you had to pound on the dashboard <laughs> to get. Well, it didn't lock because it, it didn't lock because they thought no one would steal from a you cop know. car. So the car didn't lock, and one day I came out into the parking lot, and the doors were just wide open. Like, all right, well, someone finally broke in my car, but I knew, like, I kept nothing of value in it, obviously. And it's so, like they kept it open. It's so, like kept my car nice and clean because there was just nothing worth stealing. And I think I've already told this story in the pod, but people were like, you know, would marvel at the car. And one day after school, like I had a bunch of guys, like a bunch of like gearhead type people I had like, we got to see inside the engine of your car. And I had never opened, I had never <laughs> opened the hood before, obviously. 
and I popped the hood and there was this like duct tape everywhere inside oh, the engine. I'm like, oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> and uh, you know, I didn't care. I just and, moved on and didn't think and, about it. And to summarize, we have not popped the hood since. No, we've never popped the hood. Uh, I will never quote pop the hood <laughs> in my car. We will go under the hood of this year's free agent class, guys. Uh, we're going to quarterback, starting with quarterback, where we couldn't decide who to talk about. Andy Dalton was vetoed. Kyle suggested we talk about Sam Darnold as an under-the-radar quarterback free agent in this year's class where, I mean, let's be real with Sam Darnold. He did have the best six-game stretch of his career, basically when expectations were zero after Matt Rule was fired. But the best six-game stretch of his career still involved seven touchdowns and completing fewer than 60% of his passes. But you guys, especially specifically Kyle, have said maybe there was actually some stuff worth uh, kind of glomming onto there. So why is Sam Darnold maybe a potentially nice under-the-radar target in this year's free agent class, Kyle? Yeah, I don't think at this point we'll ever see him be anything more than a backup. Uh, maybe a bridge guy. Maybe he can sort of push to be that because he played like a bridge plus guy. I mean, really, he played at a really strong level. He was top like five or he was he was ninth in EPA per play on a very small sample. And I think the one thing that uh, you notice with his play is, like you said, not a lot of counting stats. You don't see a lot of counting stats, a lot of attempts even. And that's because he got to this efficient point in his game because the coaching staff did, I think, a pretty good job at limiting him to only the things he's doing well. And they helped really pull out the mistakes, the backbreaking mistakes from his game. It was his highest rate of just throwaways ever by a considerable margin. Just not trying to do too much really helped out his game to the point where like, no, I don't expect he, he was top 10 by EPA, EPA per play. That's not who he is. That won't sustain. But could he be a top 25 guy to the point where like if the number 25 quarterback in the league is your backup? That's pretty good. So I, I think he at least showed the potential to, I, I don't think he should be a starter, like I said, but to be a guy who is consistently like one of the more coveted backups, purely a backup in the league. And maybe it's just Mirage, right? It, I mean, it definitely is a sample size issue, but he fundamentally did have some changes to his game. Like I said, just not trying to do too much on every single play. And I think if, if that is something that can stick with him, like, I'd, I'd be hopeful that he can have a long, if not really impactful NFL career. He had a, a career high yards per attempt and average depth of target uh, by a long shot. And uh, so I, you know, he was, he was highly efficient on limited throws. I think he, I think Darnold showed that he can be managed. I think, I think that he, he probably can be a starter in a league that's this uh, desperate for viable starting quarterbacks, Sam Darnold is going to be a starting quarterback for at least the next 10 years uh, if, for, 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 for someone. I'm not saying for one team. I'm saying for nine teams, but you know, it, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think, I think the Panthers kind of set out a, a nice, uh, you know, uh, blueprint for how to manage Darnold, how to make him a viable quarterback. And that is not to unleash him, but to make him a game manager um, and to have some downfield throws. He actually was good on downfield throws in that limited sample. He's, he's always been able to throw downfield a little bit, but the problem is that usually the turnovers would yeah, accompany right. that. And I, Kyle kind of hit on like the distinction between this, like a bridge or a number two. I do think he's probably still, this can be a pure number two and like not signed to be anyone's bridge. Cause yeah. this class is actually full of bridge quarterbacks where I mean, it's, quote, led by Jimmy Garoppolo. Then there's Jacoby Persett, who's kind of become like the consummate, like platonic ideal of a bridge 
quarterback Andy Dalton, which you know, who uh, <laughs> last time he bridged uh, was for the 2021 Bears. Um, didn't go too well. QB one. QB one. That's right. I forgot about the tweet. I will quote never bridge for the Chicago Bears. Then <laughs> um, Baker Mayfield, Marcus Mariota, Sam Darnold. I just think Darnold is going to be like a pure number two, but like a guy. Whereas Denny got at showed enough where definitely teams like won't be panicking like if he has to start. But I don't think he'll be signed with like any starts in mind, and that it will be signed as like yeah, a that's true right. number two. That's right. I, I will say, if you had to choose, if I had to choose between Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, I'm choosing Darnold 100 times out of 100. I mean, Mayfield was I don't atrocious. Know. He was atrocious. He was dead last in EPA per play and completion percentage yeah. over expected. But it was with the Panthers, and then it was with the Rams who had no weapons, and he did look a little better with the Rams. Like, he played as the first ever better. good offensive coordinator in Sean McVay. Um I think I would probably take one more squeeze of the door. Oh, I, I think as much as I just talked up Sam Donald, I think like we got some good. I don't know if we got a, we didn't get a franchise quarterback in Cleveland, but we got some like, I would say bridge. We got some bridge level play, bridge plus level play back in the day in Cleveland from Baker. We really have six games to hang our hat on for Sam Darnold. They're almost the opposite, right? Darn or uh, Baker Mayfield, the final year or two of what his career is right now, complete downward spiral. It's no doubt about that. But there were some good times. We used to have good times back in Cleveland. Um, <laughs> Sam Darnold is the opposite. He was, I mean, this really saved his career. He needed a good shot, like a good turnaround, even in a small sample, to save his career. He got it, but I still. I buy a little more into the the more success we got from Baker Mayfield, even if we're a little more removed from it. Yeah, where have all the good times gone with Sam Darnold? The answer is they never existed. Yeah. <laughs> has by the way on Mayfield uh, has a has a bet on oneself ever gone worse? <laughs> no. Yeah. Baker no. No, I'm, no. I'm actually begging NFL quarterbacks to stop betting on themselves. <laughs> so after I mention all those, if we accept the premise that Jimmy Garoppolo is the most desirable free agent quarterback who yep. would you guys prioritize if you had to have a bridge quarterback out of Brissett, dalton mayfield darnold marcus mariota then like the ex-commanders type people who actually would you prioritize as your bridge quarterback from this class denny can i say gardner Minshew? Uh, i like that one gardner can. used to be fun i i I'd go with Minshew. i i like him more than Denny, I may not have realized that Minshew was a free agent, and I have to write about him. In the- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I saw he was, and I thought, I thought, oh, he's clearly the best in the class. Yeah, I didn't uh, uh, Jacoby Brissett. Come on, come on, come on. We gotta. We have to revise the article, Denny. <laughs> Is this Jacoby Brissett slander? Yeah. It was that slander, or I mean, I don't know. He's no. for this class. He's pretty good. Uh, who would you choose, Kyle? Yeah, it's Brissett easily. I mean, we're talking about guys who are backups. Bridges, definitely not like long-term starters, but Brissett was like good, good last year. He was 10th in EPA per play. He was third in CPOE. I think he had a good scheme. The receivers in Cleveland were as good as they've been in a long time, honestly. Uh, but you don't, I, I don't think at least you get to that level of efficiency without being probably a low-level starter uh, caliber of quarterback, a level that teams are looking to upgrade that won't win you more multiple playoff games, but a level that like, had they kept going with percent and not had Deshaun Watson, they'd have, they'd have been in the playoff conversation for longer, almost certainly probably uh, like defense really played well down the stretch too. Once Watson got in, uh, 
maybe if they had that defense within a quarterback as efficient as Brissett, they would have gotten in the playoffs. Do I do I think they're a threat to real contenders like the Bengals and the Bills Chiefs with a quarterback like Brissett? No, I, not at all, frankly. But his numbers say he was by far the best. Maybe you could like throw the Sam Darnold in there, but the sample size is even smaller. And there's a very large sample behind Darnold that says he's bad, bad. Yeah. So I think he's clearly the best of this class. I actually think it makes a ton of sense to go to Arizona and be their bridge until Kyler Murray's healthy, not, you know, bridge yeah. in like a like structural it. capacity, but just in a health-based capacity for Kyler Murray. I do think the problem with Brissett is there's, a, there's just not another gear to his game. Like it's station to station passing and occasional power running, and there's no other gear whatsoever to his game. And so I think he's best off as like a number two for like a winning team, but then he's probably going to end up like a bridge guy for one of these Southern teams. Basically both Southern divisions are having wholesale quarterback turnover, except for the Jaguars. And I, th- I think he probably will be starting in week one. Where I kind of agree with Kyle, he's the best of the class, but I agree with Denny that I mean, there's nothing, there's no there there to the rest of his game. Like he, he's he's a finished product, to put it mildly. Yeah, he's uh, not in that like Tannehill reclamation project. That's the one that hit like most recently where you thought maybe there's still like another gear there. Like you said, we actually have a very strong idea of who Brissett is and it's not the future. It's not even like a one year level of playing. Does uh, does Kyler get his job back if Brissett goes? To- <laughs> oh my gosh, that is yeah. the question. Uh, he, do- he does get his job back, so it's not a very intriguing quarterback class. Slightly better running back class, even without Tony Pollard, even without Saquon Barkley. The top names: Miles Sanders, David Montgomery. So I mean, we're already uh, getting yeah. Damian Harris, Deontay Foreman. Uh, that's the first guy I want to talk about is Deontay Foreman, who basically completed one of the more miraculous comebacks in NFL history last season. He keyed the Panthers rushing attack and he did so like placing near the top of a lot of advanced metrics, Uh, next gen stats charted as average yards over expectation is zero at almost an entire yard. That was sixth in the league. And Chuba Hubbard was seventh, which kind of led me to believe that maybe it was like scheme dependent, but you know, they didn't have a passing attack. Their run blocking did not great. Well, from pro football focus, but I mean, I'm assuming some of that has to be scheme, but the advanced metrics just loved Deontay Foreman last year. I mean, the eye test was pretty good for Deontay Foreman too. And do you guys think maybe Deontay Foreman could be like a sneaky, like starting candidate coming in off the open market, Denny Carter? Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I like Deontay Foreman a lot. And uh, I know, you know, he came back from that Achilles. And so for two and a half seasons, he really didn't have any, like real NFL mileage on him. No. I think that, that that's an important point uh, that obviously teams teams will be aware of um, if they're listening to the show alone. But yeah, I mean, he's, he was, you're right. He, he popped in every advanced category uh, 11th in um, uh, yards of over expected per attempt, you know, stuff like that, things of that nature. He was very efficient as, as a rusher. And you're right. That Carolina scheme, that offensive line seemed to, to really, bully opposing uh defensive lines with Hubbard both Hubbard and Foreman going off in the second half of the season last year so I I don't know how much uh weight to put on that with Foreman but uh, I I would love fantasy wise for him to land in a spot where he has a shot to to be the lead back what do you think any Foreman thoughts to add Kyle 
Yeah, I've got a few interesting spots for him. If the Lions don't bring back Jamal Williams, he seems like the one-for-one style replacement of the physical between the tackles guy that lets them give DeAndre Swift just enough usage to make us want more, but not make him an RB1. Like, he would be the, like, the almost perfect replacement for that. I think yeah. he could also replace possibly Gus Edwards if they're forced to gu- cut Gus Edwards in Baltimore. And I think it almost feels necessary to at least have a strong backup slash 1B plan for J.K. Dobbins right now. Like, clearly he he was still pretty good last year, but it just didn't look right. If you watch, not watch the tapes guy, but if you watch the tapes guy, not sure they would want to give him 20 carries a game. And he physically got, he wasn't fully healthy and got hurt again. So I think those are two spots that you don't really, like, I think it, we know what he is, sort of like Brissett. You know, we know what he is. And it's kind of good. It might be really good for Deontay Foreman because he was a good prospect many, many years ago. So as long as you can put him in a spot where he's set up to succeed, probably behind a good line, especially like a setup like the Lions, maybe even a setup like the Eagles, where you're not asking him to do a ton, if any, really pass catching, and you just want him to like handle, quote, the dirty work. I think it'd be a pretty good free agent signing. And he's just, he's not going to cost you an arm and a leg like some of these other running backs or the draft capital that it would take to get a strong running back. I think he would be a really, really good fit for the Chargers, who just can't. They cannot. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, they cannot find this compliment for Austin Eckler in like the third or fourth round of the draft, no matter or the fifth round, but whatever. Uh, they just they've tried so many times. They've tried not, every round, every round. They're trying. They have. They've got to assign someone, sign someone with a track record because Austin Eckler didn't really. He, he just he's not that he's not that guy between the tackles. Like he's fine and he's really good at the goal line. He's kind of not like Tony Pollard, where he's not like explosive no matter where when you give him the ball. It just seems like he really could use like that pressure valve released from him on early down. And it seems like they've known this for years and they keep trying and just keep failing. And that they've got to sign someone. He could be pretty cheap, Deontay Foreman. I thought Deontay Foreman or Damian Harris would be a really, really good fit for the Chargers. And that they finally have got to get serious about pairing someone with Austin Eckler. I think uh, Deonta Foreman could be the Damian Harris replacement too. Yeah, that would make sense. I, I, I will say if he goes to the Chargers, I think enough of Deontay Foreman to be, you know, slightly concerned about what that does for Austin Eckler as a workhorse, you know, back, although he's still going to gobble up PPR points like nobody else. So Deontay Foreman we like, and he'll probably be one of those classic guys that signs and just like we don't ever hear from him again. Like one of those weird times that you hear yeah. we're just like no, talking I, up players. I, I reject that. I reject that. He's he's uh he will not sign in San Francisco. But yeah, it's, it's an intriguing class. I mean, a little down ballot, we have the aforementioned Jamal Williams, who seems to kind of be running on fumes, to be honest, even though he just led the league in touchdowns. <sighs> Devin Singletary, who the Bills just never liked, is not an efficient pass catcher. Then you get someone like Alexander Madison, who is the second back we're gonna talk about, who you know, the longest time dynasty football darling. Uh, he's reaching the open market as a 25-year-old, has only 474 career touches. There might actually be more than some people assume. And I think it's extremely rare for a guy who has a part-time back for like the duration of his rookie deal to suddenly become an impact starter on a second contract. But the dynasty players have always loved him. The computers still loved him in 2022. A pro football focus rated him as the league's eighth most elusive runner. Their metric that grades you independent of blocking. Uh, he didn't qualify in next gen stats because he didn't get enough touches. So I was just know. searching and I was yeah. like, oh, that's weird. I must be typing his name wrong. Yeah, no, he doesn't qualify. So we don't know his next gen stats. Um, but 
I know, Danny, I've seen you nodding in agreement a few times. Do we still think there's something intriguing there with Alexander Madison and might this time it count with Ale- Alexander Madison there, we say? Look, I mean, he has been a one-for-one replacement for Dalvin Cook, who everybody seems to think very highly of, uh, both in NFL circles and fantasy circles. So I don't, I don't see... I don't see how this can go too terribly wrong. I I also don't know if there is a team that's saying I'm gonna we're gonna put all our backfield eggs in the Alexander Madison basket. He's gonna come in and be in every down back. I don't think that's happening. But I am I am interested to see where he lands to see if there's a path, uh, you know, two two touches or or even even so what path, he are you saying a path to two touches? Is that what you're saying? Two, two, two. Yes, yeah. just just the two. And then that's fine with me. Um, uh, no, I mean, or or at least um, the, the the best thing about Madison was that you knew what you had in him, which was in every down back when Cook missed time. If he could land in a similar spot in a decent offense, he retains that same fantasy appeal. Kyle, any Madison thoughts before we move on to receiver? Yeah, he didn't, I don't believe, grade particularly well in pass blocking or in yards per route run last this past season. Uh-oh. It's something I think he's capable of. He just It's not like a plus to his game, right? You're fine putting him out there. Because not like Dalvin Cook is some sort of elite pass catcher either. He's solid at it. Madison's probably less so. It's the reason he wasn't playing ahead of Dalvin Cook. So I think if a team thinks they can get more juice out of him in the, the third down, passing down type of work, so I think he's probably a, a solid runner. I think maybe Miami be an interesting spot. They're a team that doesn't have a ton of resources, so it kind of depends on his contract, but it means I don't think it would be incredibly smart for Miami to go out and spend one of their top draft picks, which they don't even have a first-round pick, on a running back, even if a running back would do great in their system, right? They have no running backs like under contract. They're probably bringing back one of maybe both of Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert, but I don't think either of those guys, especially Mostert, are someone you want to lump a ton of carries onto. So I think Madison could be sort of a, a body blows plus type of guy for that team. Yeah, the Dolphins are going to be signing someone. It's just a matter of who. And like you said, probably re-signing one of their in-house guys. Maybe you're signing both. Could be. Wilson yeah. and Mostert, but probably making at least one outside signing. Denny, who's the first under-the-radar free agent receiver we want to talk about? Uh Sorry, I uh, I messed up my – oh, yes, Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton, yes. Darius, Darius uh, Slayton, you, you said it was going to be Alan Lazard and Michael Hardman. Oh, I did, mm-hmm. didn't I? I didn't I didn't put Slayton on there. Well, let, let's – can we talk about Slayton for a second? We can. Thank you. Because for some reason, the Giants were adamant about Slayton not playing last year uh, until about week five when he finally got into the lineup, and he was pretty good – in, a, in what was a, a very run-first, run-heavy Giants offense for much of the season. Uh, he was uh, wide receiver 28 in PPR points from week 5 to 16, so that's something. Uh, he led the Giants in yards per catch, yards per route run, and yards after the catch. Um, you know, he wasn't competing against the cream of the crop, you would say, uh, among other Giants wideouts. But he's only 26 years old. I, I think as a field stretcher, um, as a as something of a downfield threat, he could easily be a wide receiver too, in a good offense. Uh, as long as he gets to an offense that throws a little more than the Giants were throwing, which was as little as possible really last year. So, Danny, what do you think about Alan Lazard, who is seems ripe to be overpaid? And what is it's always a thin receiver market usually. All, yeah. all the real receivers, like the teams, actually want to keep get franchise tagged or extended. Al Lazard is someone who has a lot of experience, a lot of catches 
for his career. You think Alan Lazard though might actually be a worthy target in this receiver class? I think he, I, you know, I think he's going to get probably a pretty hefty contract, one that's going to make us, you know, raise an eyebrow, maybe both eyebrows. We'll see how how big the uh, the contract is. I will never is. quote raise an eyebrow. I will raise an eyebrow because here's the thing: coaches love Alan Lazard, and apparently, <laughs> according to NBC Sports. Matthew Barry, they really, uh, NFL front offices also love Alan Lazard. You can look that up on our site, NBCSportsEdge.com for that piece. Uh, and uh, But he is probably just a guy, you know, like I was I was looking and researching the piece that we're going to have on the site, uh, previewing, fantasy, uh, previewing free agency. I was looking for something to show me that he was more than just a guy. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Yards per route run against both zone and man coverage. He was outside the top 40 last year. Um, but you know, Hey, I'm, I'm done laughing at wide receiver contracts after Zay Jones made us all look foolish last year. He did uh, any counterpoints down the Zard Kyle or just a guy. Uh, nah, truly, he's just yeah. a guy. He was like outside the top 50 receivers in yards per outrun last year. He still had Aaron Rodgers and he had no competition for targets until no. Christian Watson, who took like, what did it take like nine weeks for him to really like get an even like part-time role? Uh, like that was his biggest competition for targets and he just couldn't really be an efficient player on a per snap basis. Uh, <laughs> one in- interesting, like it- it's almost like trivia facts about his game as he has led all receivers in inline snaps in back to back to back seasons that screams tennessee titan to me yes he he has that dog uh he is a a willing and able blocker and and that and that's probably why coaches just love this guy right and and he's a team leader he's gonna go out there he's gonna block for you when you gain four yards on first down and that's what teams care about a lot um, you know, whether he's going to be a fantasy force, I think it depends on the landing spot, but you're right, Kyle, that, that, that sounds to me like a Tennessee Titan receiver. Benny, who, what about Michael Harbin? Who's going, who's polarizing the entire duration of his rookie contract. And now, right. I mean, I feel like we don't know what to make of him. I have no idea what the end of the league itself will make of him. Well, look at draft capital and speed, uh, will get you a long way. Um, and I think we're going to see that in uh, teams vying for Hardman in free agency. I- I'm not saying teams are going to be knocking down his door, but I think that he will have several suitors who think that they can crack the Miko Hardman code and say that I, we know how to use you, you know, uh, as more as something more than a gadget player, which really that that's, that's what he was uh, under Andy Reid in, in, in that Kansas city offense. Um, but yeah, after the catchability, the sheer speed, um, the uh, you know ability to get into the end zone to be a red zone target, at, and that's what he was—a short area target, really, in Kansas City. I think that that will be very appealing to teams that that want him as a second or third receiver. Um, you know, before his core muscle injury that essentially ended his season last year, um, he had a pretty a pretty nice four game streak. He had 14 catches over those four games, three touchdowns. Um, he led the chiefs in, uh, targets inside the 10 yard line during that stretch. You know, I, I do think that you can use him. You like, you, you can use him as, as something more than a guy who just takes, um, you know, reverses, uh, down the field, you know, like a, like a gadgety player. I think he can be more than that. Yeah. I'm dubious on him being like anything. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure he can be much more than like a really good gadget player. 
Because like Andy Reid, the smartest offensive mind of my time, one of the smartest in history, for the most part was like this guy, jet sweeps. He's the jet sweep boy. That's what he does. Uh, and if Andy Reid thinks that of him and can't get him a ton more targets than than that or a ton more touches than that, I'm, I'm dubious that a probably a lesser coach, most coaches are lesser coaches than Andy Reid, could get a ton more out of him. But also they've had some pretty, like when he was their number two receiver, that was probably a role a little too big for him. And then at points he was trying to take on the number one receiver role because of their lack of receiver talent. Yeah. I think maybe if you put him in the third chair in a receiver room, that actually would maybe accentuate his talents more. I, yeah, like you said, he's definitely going to command a contract because he just has like physical traits that you cannot find in free agency right, right. now or or ever really because free agency is like if receivers are making it to market, it's usually because the team has seen them and said they're past their prime. They didn't pan out. We don't want them. But at least he has physical attributes that probably no one else on the open market is going to have. I don't know. Maybe he could be like, he'd be an interesting like third upgrade over Quez Watkins to be like the Eagles third receiver, something like that. Uh, but I'm not sure I'd, I'd want to gamble on him being my team's second receiver. Like, Oh, just play the speed game. Put him in Miami. Just like the way Miami's like, we're just going to burn you. We're, you have no corners that can keep up their speed. Imagine your third fastest wide receiver being Michael Harmon. That'd be pretty I mean, interesting. I, I I'm, I'm into it. Let's do it. You guys hit the nail on the head with the main point. Like if Andy Reed couldn't do it, like why should we expect <laughs> any of them to do it? I mean, there are other good offensive minds out there, but Bobby Sloak's going to figure this one out. I have faith in him. I mean, Michael Hartman just absolutely cannot be signed to someone's number two receiver. And I don't think he will be, but it could be like, be. like a weird Zay Jones situation or becomes like an overpaid number three. But if he signed as a number two, you're just begging it for is, trouble. It is very concerning that he does not, run just a regular route tree like he's he's always just running routes near the line of scrimmage and i mean i just, I can't believe that a guy with that speed can't just, just they can't just send him downfield and like chuck it up like they, the chiefs never did that with hardman so we've gone through some interesting receiver names denny it's actually a lot of interesting tight end names out yeah. there there's two you wanted to highlight people may not even realize is a free agent the first one was franchise tagged last year and then did not have a role in his team's offense whatsoever. Mike Gusecki with the Miami Dolphins. What do you think his market could be like? Yeah, look, uh, Gusecki, I'm I'm excited about uh, him landing in an offense that actually wants to use him. Mike McDaniel was uh, out, I guess, on on him mostly because he's not a good blocker, and in that Shanahanian offense, you you got to be as a as a tight end. He was playing in line way more than he has he had in 2020 and then 2021. It it all aligned for Gasecki to fail uh, in that system, and he did. And he was and he, he was not good. He didn't get a lot of playing time. He was replaced a lot, especially on short yardage situations. And when the team rarely when the team kind of turned to a, a more uh, balanced approach, um, but he basically functions as a large slot receiver. He was top ten in tight end yards per route run as recently as 2020. Um, that year he was, he had the second highest yards per reception of any tight end. Uh, it, you know, in last year, he only ran half of his routes from the slot. Uh, that's way down from his 70% slot rate that he had in, in previous seasons. So I think an offensive coordinator that recognizes what he does well and how he can be used as a big, a big slot guy. I, I think that he could, he could thrive uh, if, if given a full, complement of routes which he hasn't had in, in quite some time but athletically he is an absolute freak of nature he's a vernon davis level 
athletic freak as far as tight ends go. So I, I, I need, I, I desperately want him to land somewhere where they will use him correctly. Where do you think that somewhere could be? Where do you want Mike Jacecki to end up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think teams that that are going to be looking for, uh, you know, starting pass catching tight ends include the Lions, Rams, Seahawks. Well, I mean, maybe not so much the Rams because they still have Higby, but Giants, Jets, Bengals, Cowboys, Commanders, Texans. I, I, I it would be awesome. I think if Gasecki landed in Cincinnati, I think that that would be exciting. Ooh, that's a really, really interesting feel. Man, yeah, the field stretching Bengals tight end role, previously held by C.J. Ozama and Hayden Hurst. And Hayden, Hurst, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, put him in. Yes, put him in there. Yes, let's go. I a de facto receiver, Mike Gasecki. Kyle, what do you think about Mike Gasecki? Yeah, I think like for his, <laughs> I don't think about him that often, honestly. But for his skill set, I think a team, I think a team like the Bengals. I mean that. Every time you look at a mock draft, the team that lands or the the player in a, you know, if you are mocking a first round tight end to the Bengals, that guy has their dynasty stock in your head. Just go to the moon because you can just imagine how much receiving production, how little like how little attention defenses are going to be able to pay onto that player in this really strong passing game. Like it would be great. It'd be great for Gusecki's career. And I think he is a really good pass catcher. He's so athletic. Like he does so much after the catch. He's just limited. And I think that'd be okay in the Bengals offense. I think it'd probably be fine for the Cowboys too, especially given the prowess of their offensive line. You don't need, uh, like Dalton Schultz didn't have to be and wasn't an elite blocker last year. I think if they were to replace Dalton Schultz with more of a pure pass catcher, but probably a better pure pass catcher in Mike Gusecki, that could be really interesting. And they need more receiving, even if it's like technically tight end. He, he's basically yeah. a big receiver. When he's used correctly, he's just a big receiver. They need that. They just need more receiving talent, even if it doesn't come at receiver and it comes at tight end. Denny, the other name you mentioned was Irv Smith, who's basically the Alexander Madison of tight end prospects. Right. Uh, also another Viking. He's had, unlike Alexander Madison, he's had a lot of injury issues, Irv yeah. Smith, where he's not going back to Minnesota. You know, They made that clear when they traded for TJ Hawkinson that they had moved on. From Irv Smith, unlike running backs and second contracts, it's actually like kind of a common trope for t- t- tight ends to leave their rookie contract team and to suddenly blossom on their second contract. A lot of times it's because they get stuck behind, like, say, a better blocker or it's a really tough position to learn. There's a pretty long history of tight ends thriving on their second deal with new teams. Uh, I take it you think maybe Irv Smith could be one of those players. Yeah, I mean, I think as as a fantasy community, we have largely forgotten about and or written off Irv Smith, and he's still pretty young, and the Vikings were ready to move on, which is, you know, fine. Uh, TJ Hawkinson was a monster when he came to Minnesota last year, so there's really no reason for them to um, pay up to, to keep Irv Smith. It, you know, he, he demonstrated uh, in his return to the lineup, remember, he missed all of 2021 with an ACL injury. Um in his return to the lineup, he he demonstrated a, an ability to command targets. He saw a target on 23% of his routes, which is pretty strong for a tight end. Um, the the opportunities were limited and the sample was small, but I do think that that's a good sign. Uh, like Kaseki, I'm I'm hoping you know that I, I guess that he lands somewhere where they use him more from the slot. They didn't really do that. The Vikings did not really do that last year, but in 2019. When he had a little bit of a breakout, uh, thirty-nine caught thirty-nine of forty-nine uh, targets for three hundred fifty yards and two touchdowns. He had a thirty-seven percent slot rate. Um, so, assuming he's all the way back from his injury, let's let's get him back in the slot. 
He's only six foot two. He's a very small tight end where he's kind of there's he's he's like kind of like in that pure pass catching mold, which is what we like in fantasy. Yeah. And he's apparently not a good blocker, which we also like. Oh, we love know? that. And he's uh, he's seriously he's only twenty four years old. He does not turn twenty five until August. So yeah. it will be his age twenty five season. And Kyle, are you still bullish, or is this one of those times where like we just need to give up the ghost on someone <laughs> we had in Dynasty for way too long? It, it's probably that. It's probably the latter. He's been just so little production, and he is such a specific player that like so many spots he lands at, a team gets a cheap bullet on him, and it doesn't work out because if they have expectations that he's more than just a thick receiver, they're going to be disappointed, and he's going to get much playing time. So I think probably i thought it'd be a really interesting prospect but i think probably at this point it's time to time to give it up maybe i think like maybe an interesting part would be like green bay just let him replace the robert tunyon pass catching and let josiah deguara be the h-back blocker he was born to be and that team like you know like i've previously mentioned it's just one that they just need bodies to catch passes with so that would be maybe an interesting spot you just have to look at places where they already have someone who's going to go out and handle all the blocking duties because he's just not going to do that I feel like the tight end names are almost more intriguing than the receiver names, but that's also almost always a fallacy. Uh, tight end is like the easiest position to get hyped about people that end, end up then going and doing absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah, every year, every year we say tight end is deep, and guess what? Every year it's not deep. There's only two guys that matter. Yeah, quite literally every year. Yeah, there might be down to one soon. Travis Kelsey is getting very old, and right. you know, Mark Andrews uh, doesn't even have a quarterback. Uh, yeah, not so. currently. Not currently. So we've talked about free agency. We're going to talk about the combine a little bit when we get back. Denny and I touched on a little bit on Monday with the quarterback class. Kyle's going to lay some running back receiver knowledge on us right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. New MLB season, new rules, new stars. So pair it with the Roto-World Draft Guide. Get all the player profiles, rankings, and projections you need to hit your draft out of the park. Go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash draftguide. And use promo code PENNANT25 to save 25% at checkout. That is promo code PENNANT25 to save 25% at checkout. And don't forget, download the Rotorold app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players in your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It is available in your app store today. 
Today is Thursday. That is when the Roto World Baseball Mock Draft goes live on YouTube Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. I took part with DJ Short, Matthew Poliot, George Bissell, lots of big-time guests like Andy Barron, Scott Pianowski, Jen Piacenti, uh, Howard Bender. I'm leaving some people out. We had a really, really good crew take part in our Roto World Baseball Mock Draft. Check it out on our YouTube channel. Now check out on our YouTube channel or a podcast where you're listening to our discussion on the Combine. And Kyle, uh, I feel like it says the first thing you wanted to talk about from the Combine was, sorry to take uh, this note wasn't meant for the air, and just said all these receivers are tiny. Um, so tell us about the very, very, very tiny wide receiver combine draft class. Yeah, boy, them receivers be be little uh, in this class. I mean, if you look at <laughs> it's true. The the a lot of I I still think like deserving ish first round picks, especially with the way like receiver is going. I don't think these guys would be first round picks. A lot of them, not all of them, but I think some of them would be day two picks in previous draft classes or even in previous environments of the NFL. But when you look at the contracts, these veterans are getting, they are absurd. So even if it costs you a first round pick, you're probably still saving uh, in your overall resources. Even if you quote reach to get one of these receivers, but the only like, X outside alpha type of guy we get that looks like an even like reasonable chance to go in the first round is going to be Quentin Johnston. Uh, he's not massive. He's tall, 6'3". He's only 208. He had extremely good like burst metrics. He didn't run the 40, which I thought was a little concerning because I, I thought he kind of crushed the 40, frankly. He looks like a dude who can burn. But, uh, you know, the fact that he didn't run it, maybe he's more of just the jump ball type of guy. He doesn't have that top, top end speed. And after that, the size of the class, in terms of the guys who are have any shot at going in the first round, of course, if you look deep enough, you'll find big guys. But in terms of the guys who are high day two or day one, Jackson Smith Najigba, 6'1", just shy of 200. He'll probably play mostly in the slot. I think, I mean, he had good yards per route run on the outside. It's just a limited sample, but I think it's fair to say he'll play mostly in the slot. And of the slot guys, which is all of this class, he's the biggest by a considerable margin. Like like Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Jalen Hyatt, Jordan Addison were all 182 pounds or lighter. Hyatt was the tallest among them at six foot, except he's like all of them. He's extremely thin. And then Jordan Addison is like sub 180. Like that is a pretty, I mean, you know, the thresholds are, are fungible, right? You can add weight or you could end up playing at a lesser weight, but that is a threshold that you do not see a lot of guys who are successful in the NFL, especially from our fantasy eyes. You don't see them get below that very often and be the big hit. So I think if you're in the market for a slot receiver, you are very happy at, uh, at how this draft class is turning out for you. You might even get a discount because so many guys are going to play in the slot if you need the the outside type of big body dude, I mean, it's Quentin Johnson. I think there are real questions about his game, but just in terms of the pure size, he's like the only one that if you're spending a first round pick, you're getting size out of it. I think I think JSN ultimately goes as the first receiver. He had like he didn't run the 40. It's probably because it would have been pretty slow, but he had incredible like like he's almost- Jarvis Landry is what I've been told by some Twitter users, Kyle. At his peak, Jarvis Landry was really good. Uh, so that's probably a fair comp. Uh, but he had like not record setting, but not too distant from record setting agility drills, the the shuttle and the cone drills. And that's what we expect from his game. And I kind of think there's some value to when a player's either their tape lines up with their stats, their stats line up with the combine, the way they're used in the NFL lines up. Really the good point. Were. Like if those things align, it makes projecting success a lot easier. And I don't really care too much that he I'm kind of projecting him for a slow 40 guys who don't run the 40 
probably are doing it because they're under what they think they should be for like NFL standards. Denny and I ran the 40 at the Super Bowl. How'd that go? Did you guys end up running? Curious. Um, You guys get under five? We were wearing business clothes. Um, Yeah, we have had numbers. We don't really want to talk about it yeah, uh, at the time. We, it's like it's like with you know JSN. Uh, who needs forty shmorty? The agility drills are really where I think you guys would shine too. <laughs> I mean, it, isn't Kyle? Isn't, isn't there evidence that the that forty times are are overemphasized in evaluating players? Yeah, definitely. I think I think the combine in general at most positions in most drills is overemphasized. And yeah, especially when you look at like if you're modeling something, a lot of times like especially a more quote publicized or more known drill like the 40 it's good at predicting draft capital it helps smooth out draft capital but once you factor that in not for all positions i think like tight end and to some degree like we've seen some running backs who've had good 40s have success tight end is just a very athletic driven position that's one where all of the athletic drills i think are put in an emphasis same with like edge like edge defenders they're like truly playing a one-on-one physical combat game their all of their athletic measures to a degree mean a lot more than uh, I think receiver. It's a little more, a little more fungible, still important, but it's probably more about clearing thresholds of like, I don't know if you guys remember this guy, Deronya Wilson. He had the word run in his name and ran like a four, seven, something at receiver, like 40 for receiver is probably more about profiling what they're going to be and eliminating the non NFL caliber athletes. So no problem with JSN not running the 40, which to me says he's probably kind of slow for a receiver because he's his athletically. He is projecting to win in the way that he previously won guys who are as shifty on their feet as he is should be incredible route runners. should be able to get separation. You'll never guess what he did in college. He was a great route runner. He needed great separation. So even if I think he's probably slow for NFL receiver standards, the combine was a huge win for him uh, even still. So I think he probably separates as the one in this class. The only way that I think it really turns out differently is if a team really just places an emphasis on the size and the burst ability of Quentin Johnston, which like we've seen it in the past, like, like Henry Ruggs, he was, well, he was the first receiver taken in his class, right? Like, I don't think he had the best. I mean, I'm pretty sure he didn't have the best profile of any of those guys, but he had a skill set that was so much different. Like you just couldn't find that kind of speed. So if you wanted speed, you took him first. And uh, that could be Quentin Johnson, right? If you want size, he has to be your guy in this class. I think that really comes down to one team sort of stepping out of line with where the market sees things though. I think JSN great combine for what we expected should be the number one. And uh, he's like, I think he's like the slam dunk dynasty receiver one in this class. Didn't any receiver thoughts to add or well, um, I will say that that the 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 size of the receivers in this draft class confirmed my priors about the future of the NFL, which is that in the future, aka like this year, starting this year, <laughs> every receiver is going to be the same height and weight and have an A dot of six. Like every <laughs> like the future of the NFL is a bunch of five nine, one hundred and eighty pound guys running button hooks and getting getting seven yards at a time that that's it like teams so many defenses are playing the shell two two safeties over the top it's not going to be fun anymore it's just going to be a bunch of check downs the small small fast dudes that's the future until the inevitable correction occurs and then yeah. all of a sudden the six foot yeah. four guys are really valuable again in like five but you're absolutely correct. It's been trending that way for years and years now. And yeah, it's, they're becoming like a really, really, I mean, like you know, now, like when a really good outside receiver, like we just, we spent all last springs poking holes in Drake London's game. Like, I don't know. He's not small and shifty. Mm-hmm. He has to use his giant body to catch the ball. Is that even possible in the NFL? 
and then it was quite. I mean, people are going to look back at like Mike Evans and be like, how did that guy play? (laughs) I like the idea of like the receivers get smaller, shiftier. So all the corners get smaller. Then all of a sudden, like one dude who is projected to be like an NBA prospect decides to play football 15 years down the road. And it's like a sci-fi concept that a six, five dude is playing wide receiver. Uh And he just uh mosses all of these guys who are my size. I like this, this sort of fiction universe you've written. We, We just, we just predicted the future folks. We did. And speaking of the fiction universe, these tight ends are now all like cyborg freaks. And <laughs> something Dene and I were talking about, something Kyle has some of the facts on, we're just blowing up the relative athletic score known as, how do you say it? R-A-S Rass. or do you say RAS? I say RAS. I don't know. I don't know why you'd have that many syllables to it. Call it Rass. The, the RAS dominators, Zach Kuntz, Luke Musgrave, Darnell Washington, guys just blowing up the athleticism metrics. A tight end. I've heard people claim there could be four first round tight ends, which that's the case. This is a an atrocious draft class. They're <laughs> going in the, the first round. Uh, yeah. Truly atrocious draft class. But Kyle, tell us a little about these athletic tight ends. Yeah, I really, I was like pretty set on the line being one and a half tight ends taken, and I was kind of leaning towards one like you should if that were a line you'd bet the under before the combine i mean we got truly i think one easy one is that like i I had like i think the consensus was kind of uh loosely that michael mayer was going to be the first tight end now it's wide open but it's not because he fell back he had like i think roughly like an eight or so relative athletic score which is fine that's like where you need to be as a criteria probably a little bit ahead of it but we got like i mean we got the best RAS score of all time this data goes back to i think 1987 obviously it's a little spotty measuring changes and not all these guys do all the drills but he's he's like the best athlete one of the best athletes we've ever seen zach kuntz uh he literally the number one score in ras all time but then we got the number seven and the number 11 score in luke musgrave and darnell washington i think washington because so if you don't know washington played at georgia they have rock bowers who like already won uh what's the tight end the mackie the mackie award already mm-hmm. won the mackie award and is not coming out yet he still has to play at least one more year imagine not knowing what the mackie award was <laughs> called i mean unbelievable then he would never <laughs> ever forget the name of the tight end award i remember all the words because i always tried to get them all on like ncaa 13 oh, yeah. or whatever <laughs> well kyle is old enough to remember ncaa he's uh, that just really dinged your zoomer credentials yeah. i was i was you know five or six years old playing those games my hands <laughs> barely fit around the bibble station controllers uh, but but back to the point uh darnell washington played uh quote behind alongside but one tight end is good as Brock Bowers soaks up a lot of production. So I'll say for this purpose behind Brock Bowers, which didn't afford him a ton of playing time or a ton of production. But I don't know if you guys saw the drill of him pushing the sled, the sled, dude, he, another one where I'm not a, I'm not a film film guy. Uh, I understand RAS cause it's a number and it has percentile ranks and it's compositing easy for me to understand. I can also understand watching watching him push the sled and right. the cutups of the rest of the tight ends where like this dude, one, he's just he's just big, but he is, and scouts have confirmed, unsurprisingly, a beast of a blocker, but an underrated pass catcher just because there wasn't as much of an opportunity for him to be his team's number one receiver as a tight end. He probably could have been that at a lot of other schools. So I think he put himself almost 100% because of his side size blocking receiving combination into the first round as well. So that's like one right there. Mayor could be another one. And then I, like I said, I think Koontz being the most athletic tight end ever gives him a shot as well. I think he's like a day two guy, but yeah, three is a perfectly reasonable number that two weeks ago, I would have said that is highly unlikely. 
Uh, sled pushing Twitter was they lit were. up. They were uh, good very, for them. Very, you don't hear yeah. much from sled pushing Twitter. No, they're not they, a very listen, active they, group. They got their they, spot in the sun. I'm happy. They for only them. have the one day. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just like hand size Twitter. Hand size Twitter has the one day with the hand the hand measurements, and you say, "Oh my God, this quarterback has ten and a half inch hands. Get him in. The, I want my I want my team." Yeah, no, I'm 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 happy for them. By the way, this Washington sounds to me a little bit. The way that people saw Gronk coming out of college as like a massive right. pass blocking, not pass block, but but a massive blocker mostly, primarily, and uh, turned out to be pretty good at catching the ball. It's just interesting that you know, we're two years into the Kyle Pitts experiment of like like the most freakishly athletic tight end you'll ever see, and then just not ever catching passes, and now all of a sudden entire planes are headed um, to the Pitts assembly line. And I'm not saying Pitts is a bust yet. Um, cause we know there's been some extenuating circumstances with Kyle Pitts and the Falcons, but it seems like, yeah, an interesting time for the league too. Yeah. I guess you maybe just get big receivers instead of trying to find like cyborg tight ends. Cause clearly you want some size on the field and some catch radius on the field. Mm-hmm. Maybe just uh, draft the people who are actually like trained to catch the ball instead of the blockers. I don't know. But, uh, so what I, do I you guess, know? yeah, I, I actually, what do I know? Um, <laughs> So I don't, yeah, I don't know anything about tight ends, just to be honest. Uh, so can you, why would you? It's not a real position. We're trying to get it out of fantasy. So yeah, no, for real, that is terrible, terrible position. For man, free, free Kyle Pitts, man. Hey, this might help. Look, we, I mean, we've talked about so much of the decline in the tight end position. Where like last year, Kittle wasn't as productive as we're used to. Uh, Mark Andrews wasn't as productive as we're used to. It was Travis Kelsey or bust by a hilarious margin. None of these guys are going to be Travis Kelsey, but it could give us a lot of fun, like in a year or two, maybe even this year, a lot of like really interesting options in the way that uh, hasn't like, it's kind of worked out to where who was in like the David Njoku, Evan Ingram was OJ Howard in that class as well. If I remember correctly, like that sort of, sh- you know, I don't want to say like small, but that sort of just a few extra guys into the pool that you need that sort of juice of life in the position. Hope this looks like a give it this. This should be a good class. The juice of life. That's so we <laughs> have that. That's a um, good term. We love the juice of life. We love our Rotoro football show, but it's over. Um, check out. So Denny and I are going to have a companion piece this podcast with our free agent. Uh, what's it called? Preview. <laughs> Preview. No, no. What's the more fancy word for primer? Primer. 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 We're, we're funneling primer. free agents. We're primer. What Denny called it. The free agency primer should be live by the time you're listening to this. Maybe not if you're listening to it early Thursday evening. We're going to have it out by Friday, though. Break down all the main skill positions. Check out Kyle's ongoing team uh, preview series. Extremely good stuff. Off-season preview, I should say. Extremely, extremely good stuff. Comprehensive stuff from Kyle. That's been live on the site every day. Um, So check that out. Keep listening to the show. We'll be back next week breaking down what is what the craziest off-season week of the entire year with free agency going. The, The period where you can legally tamper begins on Monday. Uh, I should probably rename it. Uh, it's the dumbest name in sports. It is. It is so, so dumb. <laughs> yeah, the legal tampering period. That begins Monday. We'll be podcasting all week. We'll, we will be blurbing all week. For Denny Carter, for Kyle Dvorak, I'm Patrick Darty. Thank you for listening. We will be back later. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.